Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Welcome to Affected by Altitude. So happy to have you join us here today, as always, on this uh, glorious Monday following the unbelievable MLB trade deadline. One of the nuttiest in recent memory, maybe one of the nuttiest of all time. All kinds of deals happening. We're going to get into all those, but this is Affected by Altitude, the major league podcast of Purple Row, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. Typically, there's three of us on this show. We actually have a fourth member today. We'll get into that in just a second. But as always, my name is Mac Wilcox, one of the staff writers on Purple Row. And as always, I am joined by my two homies, Evan Lang. Hey, good afternoon. Evan's low energy today. We'll get into why here in just a minute. (laughs) And then Skylar Timmons. Uh, According to sources, I have not been traded like many Rockies (laughs) players. You're staying in Colorado just like everybody else is. Speaking of people in Colorado, we are happy to be joined on this episode of Affected by Altitude by one of the other Purple Rose staff writers and one of the co-hosts of the Pebble Report, the Rockies Minor League podcast. And that's our homie, Kenneth Weber. Thanks for having us uh, be part of your hang today, Kenneth. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Um, We're talking about Taylor Motter, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's what I signed up for. Yeah, man. It's all Taylor Motter talk all the time. That's what Affected by Altitude is. Good, good, good. You um, joke, but I have a surprising amount to say about Taylor Motter because I was going through <laughs> his stats, like his career stuff, and this year makes no sense compared to his career so far. I mean, he's just going triple-A Jose Bautista. <laughs> And if you guys want to learn more about Taylor Motter, make sure you check out Kenneth and Justin's podcast. That's a professional lead-in, folks. The Pebble Report, available on Spotify and all other streaming services. 
as always on Affected by Altitude, we do a little icebreaker just to kind of lighten the mood, especially at the start of this episode, which we'll no doubt get into the uh, doldrums later on as we continue. But we'll start off with one of our goofy little questions. Feel free to answer on Twitter as you guys find it on the Affected by Altitude official Twitter as well. Question being asked today, I'll just go in a circle starting with our guest today, Kenneth Weber. And the question is, if they were not professional baseball players, what other roles or jobs would Rockies players have? I'm going to go with Brendan Rogers um, for uh, who, who I'd like to give the alternate universe career to. And this coming from my background in horticulture and tree trimming in particular, he looks like he could trim a pretty mean elm tree. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Brendan Rogers tree trimmer. I like it. I like it. And there's a lot of background to back that up too. I appreciate the horticulture. How often do you hear the word horticulture on a baseball podcast? But that's the kind of expertise we bring you here. Uh, uh, Evan, what is your answer? Can't talk. Evan, what's your answer? So I don't know if y'all are familiar with the show River Monsters. But like oh, fishing yeah. show where the guy hoists up these gigantic fish is Charlie Blackman would host a very chill, laid back version of that show. Of course. And, you know, Charlie Blackman is a our resident fishing expert on the Rocky staff. No doubt... Charlie would be able to show all the best fishing spots in the mountains and all these wild river monsters that live in our very own state. So I'd be down to check that out for sure. Skylar, what do you say? Uh, I think <laughs> this one's well documented, but John Gray, not a baseball player, but he's going to go work on the Travel Channel with ghost hunters and just <laughs> oh, wander, yes. in those, wander in those buildings and hunting ghosts. Of course. That is the You're best Becoming a ghostbuster. The yeah. great wolf ghost hunter. We didn't even touch on Tapia and the crab farm. Yeah. Oh, see, stole my answer. That was gonna be my general. answer. Kenneth is reading my mind. That's what I was gonna say too. Is that Kenneth? Uh, excuse me. That Tapia would be on like a crab fishing boat or a crab farmer. Man, that's like his calling. It'd be perfect for him. Although I do. He's think already that... like a regular farmer in the off season. Yeah. Although I do think that I would. Of all the shows we've mentioned, I think I'd most be down to watch John Gray as a ghost hunter. That dude's got personality, and I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch him like go into these spooky Oklahoma houses, find the ghosts of like all these farmers and whatnot from the yesteryear. Excellent. Great stuff, guys. Appreciate that. Now the fun's over. Let's get into trades. Uh, for those that don't know, a little behind the scenes, pull back the curtain. Typically we have a pretty uh, tight run sheet for how we do this show, but not today because all we are talking about is the Major League Baseball trade deadline and what a trade deadline it was I'm not going to recap every single trade here because we don't have four hours to do this podcast, but safe to say that we have seen teams completely change the face of their franchises. The Cubs are completely remade. The Nationals had a fire sale. We had we had headline trades like we've never seen before, such as Scherzer and, and Trey Turner going to the Dodgers. There is so much to talk about here. I'm just going to let you guys kind of go loose, starting with Skyler. What trade blew you away? What's maybe an under-the-radar trade that you think is make a big deal? Who did the most? Who should have done more other than the Rockies? We'll get to that. But just trade deadline, Skyler, take it away, whatever you got on it. Well, I think the one that hits closer to home is the fact that the Dodgers just went all out with the Nationals to get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Mm. And just this huge blockbuster deal that... Now, in this arms race between the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Padres, all three of them just going all in 
and just making these huge trades, but specifically that Max Scherzer one and Trey Turner, it it's just scary how much teams like the Dodgers can do and what they do every year. Yeah. You know, we've seen them get Manny Machado. We've seen them get Mookie Betts. We've seen them you – know, they're always making these huge trades that just leave me in awe and just very jealous yeah. that, no, I want that. I want that so bad, <laughs> but it never happens. <laughs> uh, so, so that one – you know, that one is the one that stuck out to me the most. Of just course. How scary it is and how much fun we're going to have the rest of the season. An already deep rotation for the Dodgers gets even deeper with the likes of Max Scherzer, arguably one of the top pitchers in the game. And obviously Trey Turner backs up that lineup even more. What do you say, Evan? The Dodgers trade is certainly the one that hurts me the most. Of course. Um... The Dodgers gave up, admittedly, a gigantic prospect mm. haul, including their number one overall prospect, Caber Ruiz, and their number two overall prospect, who the Rockies saw the other day in Josiah Gray. But then they also threw in a couple mid-range prospects in right-handed pitcher Gerardo Carrillo and outfielder Donovan Casey. But in return, they're getting Mad Max, yep. and they're getting Trey Turner. Two of the best players on Nationals roster. Who, real quick, one of Evan's favorite players in the league is Max Scherzer. Then that's why it hurts me so much. (laughs) Because now I have to... One of my dreams has always been to see Mad Max in Rockies Purple. And I know that's probably never going to happen. But now I have to watch him in Dodger Blue, Mm -hmm. gun for a World Series, while my Rockies sit in the doldrums of distant fourth place Mm -hmm. in the division. Because... The Padres, the Dodgers, and even the Giants all got better this deadline. Yep. Yep. Way better, too. What's your big trade, Kenneth? What was the one that stuck out to you the most? Sorry. Uh, So I actually just had to stop my dog from screaming and yelling. And just on the topic of Max Scherzer um, being depressing that he's a Dodger, I named my dog after Max Scherzer. So as far as I know... Scherzer is sitting out the rest of the 21 season, <laughs> I think, before 22 happens. Uh, I think that's how it ends that's up crazy. playing out. Um, in terms of my favorite trade, obviously there's the seismic size of the Dodgers, and acquiring Trey Turner is enormous yes. for them. But one that I really, really like is the Twins trading Jose Barrios to the Toronto Blue Jays. Mm. That was a good return for the Twins. Austin Martin was the fifth overall pick in the 2020 draft was pretty well regarded as the best college hitter coming out of that draft and is going to be a good piece for Minnesota moving forward. They also got Simeon Woods Richardson, who was acquired from the Mets in the Marcus Stroman trade. He's a pretty well-regarded prospect. So it works well for Minnesota, kind of selling high on a year and a half left of Barrios, but this is really Toronto taking their shot, not only for a push for the rest of this season, but 2022 Toronto Blue Jays is looking pretty yeah. good because you got that mean lineup and you have Ryu Barrios and an emerging Alec Manoa as your top three. Mm-hmm. So I like that trade for what both sides did. Um, another honorable mention under the radar deal is Eduardo Escobar to yeah. Milwaukee. Milwaukee's having a good year and Escobar is a really good fit for them uh, for the rest of the season. So Come October baseball, he could, you know, that 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 trade could pay a lot of dividends for Milwaukee. Absolutely. 
Rockies fans familiar with uh, Eduardo Escobar from years of, of hurting the Rockies pretty badly in Arizona Red. So, yeah, I think you guys nailed the big one. Obviously, probably the most, I guess, headline deal is going to be that Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the L.A. Dodgers. Just the names involved and the teams involved is such a huge deal. If we talk about teams that got better, think about the other side of it, which is teams that got demonstrably worse, or at least right now, right? We have two big teams, two recent World Series winners in the Cubs and the Nationals having complete fire sales. I mean, these teams are unrecognizable today than they were a week and a half ago. The Cubs moved Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez and Craig Kimbrell. And I believe there's a trade for John Lester, although he came from the Nationals, former Cub, though. But, like, you have this this Cubs unit that brought them to the World Series, and they're gone, right? Same thing with the Nationals. I just mentioned Lester. We have seen all these teams who recently won World Series completely tear it down. Great returns, though. A lot of people consider the returns for the Cubs to be huge. They got Nick Madrigal from the White Sox. They've got a lot of pieces that are going to help them out in the future. For the most recent one being the trade for Chris Bryant, they ended up receiving it from the Giants, outfielder Alexander Canario and right-hander Caleb Killian. So there's just a lot of pieces coming back. So if we talk about some of the bigger trades, who do you think sold and won out here? Are the Cubs and the Nationals set up for success in the future? Are there other teams, Kenneth mentioned, sort of these under-the-radar trades? Like, are there any other trades that, that happened from teams that were selling that you really like for what they got in return? I hope that question makes sense. Evan, what do you think? So, I think both the Nationals and the Cubs did a really good job at, for lack of a better term, burning it all yeah. to the ground. Because they realized that they weren't going to be competitive. And with a bunch of players leaving or needing to be re-signed, like Javi Baez with the Cubs, they made the smart moves of getting the maximum possible returns. And they got good yeah. returns. Um, they sent Javi Baez over to the Mets, along with right-handed pitcher Trevor Williams for Pete Crow Armstrong, who the Mets drafted last year and are very high on. He's only 19. He is having some um, – he did have some shoulder surgery he's recovering from, but he's still the number five overall prospect for the Mets. And they get that player, and they got a bunch of other players from a bunch of other places that give them a recipe for success in the nearer future than they might have done. So, like, they have Nick Madrigal, who has been shut down for the season, but he'll be back next year, and I'm – very, very high on yeah. Nick Mandrigal. He is an excellent second baseman. And that's a great pickup for them. And then the Nationals as well, they're getting all of these prospects. They got uh, outfielder Lane Thomas from the <clears throat> Cardinals, who is not a huge get, but it's enough for John Lester, who's going to be a free agent mm -hmm. next year. They really did everything that they needed to do. The Nationals traded uh, Yan Gomes and Josh Harrison to the Athletics for a bunch of prospects. They just, they did what they needed yeah. to do. And it was smart for, for both parties involved to go ahead and do that. And it makes, you know, the Mets and the other teams that they traded with so much better. The Mets, that infield is ridiculous because they're probably going to move Jeff McNeil over to third base and then at shortstop they've got Francisco Lindor who's finally really putting it together 
though he's on the injured list right now. He should be back quite soon. Then at second base, Javi Baez, who can also swap over to shortstop because he is a career shortstop. And then at first base, they've got Pete Alonso. Mm-hmm. So this infield for them is all of a sudden ridiculous to cap off the fact that they've got, you know, shoe-in Cy Young winner Jacob deGrom leading up their rotation. Right. It's tough to think of a more exciting uh, middle infield than Javier Baez and a healthy putting it together Francisco Lindor. I mean, that's a scary combination of guys. Um, what do you think, Kevin? You went pretty much in the same boat as Evan? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that can be said for the Cubs just because there's so many large pieces um, that are being shipped out. Um, in terms of kind of a surprise winner on being a seller at this deadline, I really like the return that Texas got from New York for Joey yeah. Gallo. Um, I think, one, they sold Gallo at the right time, which when we get to the Rockies, I'm sure that's that can yes. be discussed. But, um, you know, the Yankees have such a deep farm system, and it showed here. If you just looked on the surface and you said, oh, you didn't even get a top 10, top 5 prospect out of the Yankee system, what are you doing? Instead, they got four really quality pieces from a very deep system. Mm-hmm. Um, Ezekiel Duran, Trevor Hauver. Glenn Otto and Josh Smith, three of those being middle infielders with Glenn Otto being the only pitcher out of it. A lot of really good bats in the middle infield in Smith, Duran, and Halver, Halver and Duran especially. Um, so I think that that was a very, very good move uh, for Texas that can really bolster a bit of a thin farm system, which has been pretty comparable to what the Rockies have been putting together these past couple sure. of years. Um, and then one other honorable mention, the Starling Marte rental trade. Um, so Marte has been with the Marlins for anybody that might not know, because that's always been a bit of a weird mm. fit. Um, but Marte for Jesus Lazardo straight yeah. up. And now Florida, as you see what is coming in terms of the amount of arms that the Marlins are putting together is kind of scary for the NL East um, teams, not named Miami Marlins over the next couple of years. And that's, not even with Sixto Sanchez knowing what's going to happen with his shoulder, but you had Lazardo on top of Alcantara, on top of Max Meyer, on top of Rogers, who's having a breakout right. this year. It's a really good acquisition by the Marlins for a rental piece. So I like that one a yeah. lot too. All great answers, man. Yeah, that Halusus Lazardo trade is a big deal. One of the first like real big mm-hmm. straight up trades of this draft or this uh, trade deadline. And then like you mentioned, the Joey Gallo deal. That's a huge haul for, as you mentioned, a big bat like Gallo. So Texas definitely set up for some future success with players like that. Skylar, anybody else we have not mentioned yet? Uh, I think like we briefly mentioned before, but like the Braves just completely overhauling their outfield yeah. uh, for the rest of the season. Though they went out, they got Jock Peterson, you know, about a couple week or so ago. So they got him. They got Eddie Rosario from Cleveland. And what it sounds like they sent Pablo Sandoval back over to Cleveland who, okay. Uh, <laughs> and then they get Adam Duvall back from the Marlins. And then looking on here that I barely saw that they got Jorge Soler from the Ro- from the Royals. Right. That was like the last one, yeah. As well. And so they just completely overhauled that outfield and just got some massive power hitters out there to really help you know, fill in that gap that they've had since – Oh, Ronald Acuna Jr. went on the injured right. list for the rest of right. the year. And so just they went for that sure just firepower in the outfield and you know that it's a scary lineup. It's going to be interesting to see how they you know, put them into the lineup and 
work all those things around, but no, that National League East, everybody but the Nationals are really going in for it. The Marlins, like we said before, they made that great trade for Jesus Lazardo, which I really love that trade, and I love what the Marlins have been able to do where they've had some of these veteran pieces, and then they've been able to flip them to keep restoring their farm system because they have a lot of good, quietly really good offensive players like Jazz Chisholm, uh, Brian Anderson, uh, Gary Cooper, all these other guys on their team. They're quietly building a good offense and a strong core yeah. where in a couple years they're really going to be in a good spot in that National League East to really compete. Now, this is a team that went to the playoffs last year in the extended, expanded yeah. playoffs. Oh. And so they're setting themselves up to really make a splash. That National League East is really a division to look at in the next year, couple of years just from all the moving pieces with all those teams and trying to set themselves up to win that division because it is a very competitive and becoming an even more competitive, equally challenging you know, division. So all those teams over there just really making some quality moves to go for yeah. it. You know, because it's most of those teams are right there for the division and in the wild card. Yeah. And so they're floating around there and I love just seeing all everybody go all in, you know, except the nationals who are just like, Yeah, yeah we're yeah, done. Yeah, I pretty much just sell the entire team that way. What's interesting is a really interesting trade was the Phillies acquiring Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy from the Texas Mm. Rangers is that that's actually, I think a trade that is really strange for the Rangers because they sold high on Gallo and got a good return, but then right-handed pitcher Kyle Gibson, who was an all-star this year and right-hander Ian Kennedy, who is one of their best relievers, went over with a uh, the Rangers' number nine prospect, Hans Kraus, a right-handed pitcher. And what they got in return was two unranked prospects in the Phillies organization in right-handers Kevin Gowdy and Joss Gessner. But then right-handed pitcher Spencer Howard, who is a top 50 MLB mm-hmm. prospect. It's a really strange move because it seems like they overpaid for Spencer Howard, took flyers on two you know unranked prospects who you don't really know where they're going to end up and then also gave up their number nine overall prospect for two of the best pitchers on their roster yeah it it's strange that was a strange trade to me i i'll disagree a little bit because i think that that trade will all come down to kraus versus howard Hmm. in the long term and i think that there's been enough red flags with kraus over the past couple of seasons that texas is in a position where they're going nowhere this year and kennedy and gibson are expendable pieces so if you have the chance to get that's true the the better the more sure thing in your mind in howard I, i i get the the logic at least back there interesting I can definitely see that. It's just strange because Kyle Gibson is still fairly young, and that seems like a piece you could build around. But I do suppose that with how he has pitched coming out of the All-Star break, you could view him as expendable. And maybe if you're thinking that he's not a set thing in the future that you definitely want to sell high coming off of an All-Star season. I don't know. It's just a trade I'm not really sold on. And then another guy I wanted to mention going back to the Chicago Cubs is that they got a prospect that I was pretty high on 
from the New York Yankees in the Anthony Rizzo trade, and that is outfield prospect Kevin yes. Alcantara. And I talked about him last week, that if the Rockies were going to trade Trevor Story to the uh, New York Yankees, that is one of the prospects that had been you know sort of rumored, but also one of the prospects that I would have liked to get. And I think that's a really good get for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. They really did... Uh, get a good return for Anthony Rizzo. They got the Yankees number nine and number 12 overall prospects in Alcantara and Vizcaino. Yeah, the Cubs have completely remade their franchise in like a day. You know what I mean? Uh, the We mentioned earlier, like the, the 2016 World Series winning Cubs are basically gone. And yet here are all these young players that are going to basically take up those roles again. And it's going to be crazy to see if the Cubs can essentially just do what they did again, just just run it back, right? And just start from the bottom, build these young players up, build these top prospects up, and take them, basically give them the reins to kind of take the Cubs back to the World Series. It would be fascinating to see if that really ends up working out for them. I hope it does. I think it's a cool concept. I think that that, you know, there's, there's a lot of hard opinions about tanking. And I don't necessarily consider this to be tanking. But I do think it's it's a cool idea of having the prospects really get the reins to kind of take the team back. So I hope it works out for them. Not at the expense of the Rockies, obviously. So we talk about sellers. Because it really is, they pulled the trigger yes. on a rebuild. Yeah. They, they, saw, they actually started the season yes. fairly well. And then when things started to go sideways, they made the decision of, we need to pull the trigger mm-hmm. on a rebuild because we're not going to contend this year and we're probably not going to contend next year with all of these players leaving like Javi mm-hmm. Baez. So they did the smart thing. And that's more than I can say for certain yes. other teams. It's bold. Yeah. I, the one other thing that I want to add into this too is good on the nationals and the Cubs for really pushing for as long as they have. And this is just a byproduct of the bill coming due for both of those franchises. Now they both won world series and I mean, that's the ultimate goal. You can look at other teams like the tigers of the two thousands where forever they came just short and then it right. never happened, but they still pressed to strive for a championship and it ultimately they succeeded. And now the bill is coming due for it. It's a harsh reality, but Hey man, the flag flies forever in those places. And it's the same as the Royals in 2015, look at where they are now, but you know, Hosmer, Moustakis, Kane, that was all come and do for them too. So they gave it their best shot. They struck while the iron was hot in both of those franchises. And now, you know, it's, it's time to move on to the next phase, but credit where it's due for them pushing for as long as they did to get to this point. Yeah. That's it. I think that's a great, great point. It's just different ways of, of doing it, man. It's different ways of running your franchise. So we talked about sellers. Let's get into buyers real quick. Easy enough answer. Who won? Who won the deadline? Who is a better team demonstrably? Who was set up for the playoffs? Who was set up for maybe even the World Series? Skyler, you're up first. Who won the deadline? Oh, man, that's a hard it question. Is. Uh- <laughs> it is a hard one. Put you on the spot. Um, yeah, because I'm just trying to look at you know, all these other different trades and now, amongst the buyers, I don't necessarily think the Yankees won it uh, necessarily because they just add those really two big power bats into their lineup, which good for them, but you know that's still they still kind of fit into the status quo of the Yankees and what they've been doing. Uh, but ultimately, oh man, putting me on yeah, the spot. Sorry, brother. <laughs> it's all good. 
Now, I think, no, honestly, I think the Blue Jays, like we talked about before, like Kenneth talked about, uh, they made, no, they have such a strong, no, young core of that offense, that offensive lineup. And what they really needed was to address their pitching. So they go make a trade with the Twins, Jose Barrios, and then, no, they get a helping hand in Brad Hand to fit in that bullpen. And they get Joaquin Soria as well, and among other things. And, you know, we always think of the winners of the deadline. Who made the most moves and who just got these huge impact players? But I think sometimes the winners are even those quiet ones that address holes. They find the holes and they fill them up. And that I think that's what the Blue Jays really did. And, you know, they get to go back to Canada finally today as of recording at the end of July. You know, good for them. And I think they're really set themselves up for a good spot of, you know, pushing for that postseason. Totally. And I just, I just love the Blue Jays and appreciate what they're doing and, you know, the things that they're trying to accomplish. So in my eyes, I feel like they – they won. There's probably a better answer, but that's no, mine. I like it. It's your answer, man. It's yours. And, and you're right. I think that they made a lot of, probably not the bigger name trades, but a lot of really good, solid trades to back up a really good, solid team. Kenneth, Blue Jays, you got somebody else. It's hard not to say the Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, that's incredible additions to any team, while also, you know, still being able to maintain a very quality farm system and i think a big underrated aspect of this is they basically swooped in and took scherzer from the padres because that you know in that weird hour two hour window was sure looking like scherzer was going to the padres and then the dodgers come in and not only get scherzer but trey turner so now you have like cody bellinger batting eighth for you and you have Bueller, Kershaw, and Scherzer set up in a series for you as well to all be making, you know, one, two of them make two mm-hmm. starts, let's say. So it's hard not to say the Dodgers. I will say in kind of that, that low key, um, making some solid additions, uh, the White Sox too. Man, the White Sox have Hendricks and Kimbrell in the back of their bullpen, plus they have Bridgemen like Kopech and Crochet yep. now. Losing Madrigal hurts, man, but... They got a lot of other strong areas, and they just made their bullpen. Ryan Tapera back so, there too. Yep. So White and, Sox, White Sox are up there for me too. Well, and they got their second baseman in Cesar Hernandez. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at worst, they replaced Madrigal, who is down for the yes. season anyways with like a torn hamstring yeah. or something. So White Sox are good. I like that. That's my answer too. Is the White Sox? I, I just think that their biggest need was their bullpen. They addressed it. That's a gross back end of the bullpen. It's got vibes of the early 2014-15 Royals, right, where they had, like, you know, that shutdown 7-8-9. They had Kelvin Herrera. They had Wade Davis. They had Greg Holland. You're done. If you're ahead after the sixth inning, the game's over. Mm-hmm. White Sox are looking almost like they're in that vicinity now, too. So I like that answer as well. And then, yeah, Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, what else you say? That's just gross. That's a cheat code. Um, yeah. Evan, anybody else? Or are you pretty much in line with uh, our brothers here? You guys are kind of stealing all my answers here. <laughs> um I do want to say I definitely don't think the Yankees were the winners. They made some big moves, but they didn't address pitching, which is a big issue for them in a particularly meaningful way. I mean, they got Andrew Heaney from the Angels and a couple other pitchers, but nothing really in terms of a barn buster that's going to meaningfully improve the bullpen and the rotation. 
in a gigantic degree. Uh, the Mets also probably could have addressed pitching a mm-hmm. little bit more. Um, but that infield and addressing offensive needs is they did a really good job. The I'm really just going over what everybody did yeah. at this point. It's really tough for me to yeah. pick a winner because a lot of teams made some really big, meaningful additions. I really like what Skyler said about the Blue Jays because they improved their pitching in both the rotation and in the bullpen. They added meaningful pieces on all sides, and they're set up for a run not only this year but next year as well versus you know some other teams you don't know how long they're going to be able to maintain after buying. The Blue Jays are set, and they have a lot of really young guys and a really talented roster overall. And then I also really do like how the White Sox did because now they're getting Eloy Jimenez and they're getting Luis Robert back. In addition to all of these improvements that they have made, they added a second baseman that they needed to in the underrated Cesar Hernandez from the Cleveland team. They really, I think it has to be, for me, it's either the Blue Jays or the White Sox, either one of those. They made the right meaningful additions to their rosters for a deep playoff yeah. push. A White Sox team that's already got a pretty good stranglehold on their division got better. That's a scary thought for the rest of the American League as we get ready to head into playoff season. I'm with you. I think it's the White Sox, but the Dodgers, man, that's just that's gross having them make a trade like that. Let's go ahead and take an ad break here. When we come back, we are going to get into the nitty-gritty of this year podcast, and that's the Rockies. Not so much by what they did, but more by what they did not do and what that means for the future. Myself, Skylar, Evan, and Kenneth will be right back here when you come back, so stick with us through this ad break. We'll talk to you all shortly. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us through that ad break. Uh, We have discussed trades happening around Major League Baseball, but it's time for us to bring it right back into Colorado. And uh, I'm going to let my guys let loose here a little bit. Uh, The Rockies did not do anything at the trade deadline. They made a couple small moves. They reacquired uh, Ashton Godot. They made a trade with the Reds. They sent Michael Givens over to Cincinnati and received uh, pitcher Case Williams uh, for that move. The Rockies did not make any big major league trades, however. C.J. Crone, Daniel Bard are still here. The big names involved with the Rockies were, of course, John Gray and Trevor Story. They are still in pinstripes. There was no movement uh, made. Apparently, there may have been some conversations happening, but nothing came of them. As we record today here on Friday, the Bill Schmidt presser uh, is either just about wrapping up or getting ready to. Uh, There's a lot to say here, and I'm going to kind of leave this one open to y'all. I'll let Evan start because I know he's got something to say about it. But, yeah, where are you guys at on the Rockies' relative silence in one of the crazier trade deadlines we've seen what does this mean? What did you expect? Shoot, just talk about it, Evan. What do you got? I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm that thinking does it all. Of the, I'm thinking of the infamous Dennis Green quote from back when he was the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL. The press conference is pretty infamous, but it's the quote they are what we thought they were, <laughs> and we let them off the hook. And that is exactly what I am thinking about with this front office Mm -hmm. of this is exactly 
what was expected and we all expected and what we all probably knew was going to happen. But I, at least, I don't know about y'all, held out a minuscule amount of hope that they would do the smart thing for once, and that would be to trade expiring contracts for prospects to get things done and set up a rebuild by restocking the farm system. And those candidates were Trevor Story, John Gray, C.J. Crone, Michael Givens, and Daniel Barr. Mm -hmm. And four of those five are still here after the trade deadline. And it's not pretty either. Some of them I'm not extremely upset about. The John Gray trade ended up sort of fizzling out because it came out, you know, about 36 hours ago of Daniel Allen Tuck of the Gazette that he had entered into extension negotiations and contract talks with the Rockies and had expressed that his desire was to be a career Rocky, that all he wants is to pitch in Colorado and pitch for the Rockies. And I am okay with not trading him on that front. Because if we can get it done, I am thrilled to have him back. Sure. And I don't think that this front office had the resources or the know-how to pull off the kind of thing where you trade him to another team for prospects as a rental with the guarantee that he would come back to a contract. Because I don't think this front office is appealing enough that he wouldn't go to another team and go, wow, this is much better. And I don't think they'd be able to pull off getting the right return mm-hmm. for him. So John Gray off the table, fine. I'm okay with that. That that works out. I legitimately want John Gray to be a Rocky for life. We discussed that in the last episode, yep. that he has the potential to be one of the best Rockies pitchers in history as a homegrown guy who likes pitching and wants to pitch at Coors Field. Cool. The ones I don't like are everything else. Let's start with the lower side of things before I get into the big meat. And that's, you know, CJ Crone and Daniel Bard. Both are over 30. CJ Crone is 31. Daniel Bard is, what, 35 or 36? They are not the future of this organization. I can maybe see keeping Bard as a veteran presence and sort of like a mental aspect of the game advocate for a very young Rockies pitching staff. But there were teams that would have taken his services as a reliever. And if you had pushed, I bet you would have found a reasonable return. CJ Crone, there are plenty of teams out there that needed a power hitting first baseman. The Boston Red Sox needed a power hitting first baseman. We could have got something for him. We could have reached out and been like, hey, here's CJ Crone. He's not going to knock your socks off, but he's good. His teammates love him, and he's hitting well for power this year. Okay, but... C.J. Crone and Daniel Bard are both still here. And C.J. Crone is probably not going to be here next year. Right. Because he's 31, going to be 32. The Rockies have a glut of corner infield prospects and players coming up. Colton Welker and Michael Toglia and all these other people. That there's really not room for a 31-year-old veteran on any sort of a long-term deal. Because if you sign him, then he's blocking other players. He's blocking Connor Joe. He's blocking even Joshua Fuentes. And who knows who speeds through the farm system. El Hiris Montero has been looking really, really good in Hartford over the last few weeks. And it would be such a classic Rockies thing if either they got nothing for him and let him walk after a good year of service, or they signed him to a long-term deal and blocked off 
all of our first base prospects mm-hmm. that we have coming through the loop. The only way that it would make sense is if with Universal DH next year, we kept him around as the Universal DH. But he specifically came to Colorado and signed a minor league contract because he wanted to gun for a starting first base role. And that is what he got here. And I don't think he's going to want to go back to not being the everyday first baseman. Mm-hmm. And I love CJ Crone, and I am thrilled that he is here. And I was an advocate for signing him even. But the writing was on the wall for what needed to be done, and it didn't get done. Yep. Yep. And then we did trade Michael Givens, who is one of our, surprisingly, after he really kind of struggled last year when we traded for him and were inexplicably buyers at the deadline, despite the fact that there was no way we were making playoffs and no way, even if we did, we were making a deep playoff run. We got Michael Givens. And I like Michael Givens. And he struggled last year, and him putting it together this year and having an ERA under three out of this bullpen has been amazing. And the return for him is just okay. And it's what a lot of people have been harping about is that the Rockies traded for what they knew in that they brought back prospect Case Williams, drafted out of Douglas County High School in the 2020 draft last year. And that was something that the Rockies scouting staff, led by, at the time, Bill Schmidt, was very high on. And he immediately becomes our number 21 ranked prospect he's had an interesting first year of big league ball. He's got a pretty bloated ERA of over five and walks have been a problem, but it does seem like he's been putting it together. Okay. I'm fine with that. I also like case Williams in general, because he's a local kid and, um, wanted to pitch for the Rockies. He was very excited to be drafted by the Rockies. So cool. But that is the issue of it is what they know. And then we got, um, rotational piece, Noah Davis, who is going to start in Spokane, and he's also been fine. He's recovering from, he recovered from Tommy John. This year's really been his first real full season, and he's doing fine, and he immediately becomes our number 25 ranked prospect in our organization. But we could have gotten more for Gibbons, considering that he has one of the better reliever ERAs in the league, right. and his stuff plays really well on pretty much any team. Mm-hmm. So we only got those two prospects, but at least they are, it was a somewhat decent return. Like it's not a great return. It's not going to, it didn't really knock my socks off, but it's a solid return. It gives us two middle of the pack, top 30 prospects that are both pitchers and the Rockies always need to be developing pitchers. Fine. But then we also traded cash to the Reds for Ashton Goodell. And Ashton Goodell was drafted in 2009. He is just turned 29. He's almost 30. He only has 17 and one-third career innings of major league work, despite the fact that he was drafted in 2009. The Rockies have gotten rid of him three times, Mm -hmm. which it's baffling to me that we brought him back, because even in his limited MLB work, he's not very good. In that 17 and a third inning, he's got an ERA of 571 and a whip of almost two. He only has seven strikeouts. He has been passed around the league so much. Even in just the last year, he's been on like five different teams. Mm -hmm. He was originally drafted by the Royals. 
So let me correct myself. He was originally uh, in the 2012 draft, mm-hmm. but he's still been floating around for almost 10 years now. So he was drafted by the Royals in 2012. He was purchased from the Royals by the Mariners. He was released by the Mariners. We signed him as a free agent here in Colorado. We waived him. The Pirates picked him up. The Pirates waived him. The Orioles picked him up. The Orioles waived him. The Giants picked him up. The Giants waived him. The Dodgers picked him up. The Dodgers waived him. And then the Rockies picked him up. And the Rockies waived him again. And then the Reds picked him up. And the Reds were about to waive him. And then we inexplicably gave them money for this guy. A 10-year minor leaguer with limited major league success who immediately got put on the big league roster because who else are we going to put on there? But why? This is another thing of the Rockies going for somebody that they know and it's not even a good somebody that they know. It's Ashton Godot and I wanted him to succeed for a pretty long time, but it's pretty clear that he's probably not going to, and he's almost 30. Yeah. Why? Why did we pay, especially when they waived him, and I am almost 100% certain that he was going to clear waivers, because with just how much he has been passed around, nobody wants this guy. So why did we pay money to the Cincinnati Reds to bring him back after we have gotten rid of him several times. And I feel like I've talked a lot now, so I want to hear what some of y'all guys thoughts are before we get into the Trevor story stuff, because that's the, that's the going to be the big cap off of this whole episode is talking about Trevor story. So I want to hear what y'all are thinking about, you know, the trades or lack thereof that we made before we get the story. Fire absolute fire kenneth skyler anything to add to that to that breakdown i'll uh i'll jump in a little bit and just when we talk about uh ashton Goudeau, uh i think that that also speaks to the lack of depth that exists for the yeah. rockies in the pitching uh infrastructure yeah. because the same could be said about bringing yolish Chassin back earlier in the season it became the devil that you know a little bit because there isn't really anything else ever since Ryan Castellani became kind of the the lost cause, so to speak, on the 40-man roster spot. So um, in a vacuum, the Michael Givens trade I don't have a huge problem with. I think there's a decent lottery ticket in Noah Davis. Case Williams is obviously somebody that they liked enough to draft with a fourth-round pick. Part of it, I think, was signability in 2020. But regardless, you know, somebody that they, they, they value, at least in their um, reporting on, on Williams's um, capabilities. So it's fine for a middle relief pitcher on an expiring contract, especially one that you acquired as a rental. But the problem a little bit with it, aside from it being the only trade, is you had Michael Givens as your big addition in 2019, I believe, mm-hmm. right? 20, or was it 2020? It was 2020. 2020 and you gave up Tyler Nevin and Taryn Vavra to get Michael Gibbons. So essentially with the reacquisition of Case Williams, the Rockies have given up Nevin, Vavra and um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought on that, but basically for a a year of Michael Gibbons turned into all of this for Robert Stevenson. 
So it's not the best asset management uh, when you look at what was paid to get Givens, what the team accomplished in the time that Givens was here, and what they got in return for getting rid of Givens before his contract expired and he left as a free agent. So, you know, it's it's another point that you can look at in the argument on how questionable um, the front office's approach was during this deadline. And also, I think that this was just a good sign of how understaffed the organization might be right now. Yeah. There was a lot of deals going on. There was a just a flurry of back-and-forth trades, obviously a lot of communication and negotiations going on behind the scenes before these trades are announced. So there was certainly a willingness in 29 other rooms around the league to negotiate, to have the discussions, to find a common ground on these deals. And the Rockies really stood pat on everything they had aside from Givens on what they expected as a return. And if they weren't going to get it, they weren't going to do it. And not doing it is the path that they elected with this deadline. Yep. Can't argue that. Skyler? Well, and I love what Nick Groke uh, wrote in an article in The Athletic talking about the problem wasn't necessarily like the Rockies trading away Michael Givens. is the fact that they traded for Michael Givens in the first place and got a reliever they didn't need last year. And so you know, it, 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 they did the right thing of trading him away, which everybody kind of assumed that was probably the plan of no, let's trade for him, and then we'll trade him away at the next deadline. But the big problem lies in that the Rockies just stopped there, and they had plenty of other options that they needed to trade away. C.J. Crone, as much as I like being in the Crone zone and making all these Crone-related puns, he, uh, he, there's no reason to keep him on the team when he could be used somewhere else. And right. No, even if you could ju- get just a couple of prospects, you just the Rockies need to replenish their system. And no, like we talked about, look what they gave up for guys like Michael Givens, no, even Kevin Pillar, and no, look what they got back in return. And through all the mix-up, no, the the trades with the Reds, it ultimately comes down to we got Robert Stevenson and Jamison Hanna, who let's not count him out. Uh, he should hopefully have a good future. But really, no, it, it's frustrating seeing that they just went back to what they know. And we keep making the jokes that, oh, they're going to get Mike Talkman, who got designated for assignment. They're going to get Tyler Chatwood back. Uh, mm. The scary thing is we joke about it, but it's a real possibility because the Rockies yeah. are understaffed. And so they might not have that ability to scout other players and you know, really get a good idea of who they want or who they need. So they just go back and look through their old files and like, hey, is this guy available? We used to have him. Let's get him back. What's Kurt Manwaring doing these days? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Also, for reference, I have been the one saying, when are we going to sign Mike Talkman mm-hmm. and Tyler Chatwood? But it does sort of come from that idea that like the you guys have all kind of alluded to it, and it sort of actually helps lead into the final subject here, which is Trevor's story, that the Rockies are loath to let some of these guys just go right like there's very few true big outside impact signings it's a lot of bringing back guys like you know ashton godot or case williams who they had originally traded away or they bring back kind of said jolie's chassine cargo and it yeah and yes carlos matt gonzalez holiday. and matt holiday yeah and just all these different players that they've had for years and so i'll kind of lead us into our last little subject here before we call it a day and that's trevor's story 
And the reason I want to talk about Trevor's story in the context of what we're talking about now is we just got done with our Bill Schmidt presser. Trevor Story is someone that Rockies fans love, right? Everyone likes Trevor Story. Everyone hopes that Trevor Story does well. Everything. But we, I think, and, and please, any of you three, tell me if I'm wrong here. I think we'd all kind of made our peace with Trevor Story leaving because it made sense. It was a means to an end. It was the next logical step in the Rockies franchise development. Trevor Story did not get moved. And it sounds like from the quotes we're seeing out of this Bill Schmidt presser, Trevor Story said, quote, I'm confused and I don't have really anything good to say about the situation and how it unfolded. That's the end of that quote. What, like, is this the Rockies yet again hanging on too much? And I guess the final question I'll just ask all of you guys today is, what does this mean for Trevor's story? What does this mean for his future? You know, is this another example of the Rockies maybe hurting their relationship with their star player? I'll just kind of open the floor and let, you know, you guys chime in however you want to. But I guess just what's your take on the Trevor Story situation following this trade deadline? Uh, something that I, I love that came out of this presser is what Bill Schmidt said. Uh, the, one of the reporters tweeted out. <laughs> he said, hopefully we'll have him longer than two months. We love Trevor's yeah. story. And, yeah. you know, and then the Denver Post comes out, Patrick Saunders, talking about how, you know, <laughs> story is I'm confused and don't really have anything good to say about it. And – I think in this situation, the Rockies, as much as they probably don't want to be, they're going to be the bad guy as a result of what happens here with Trevor's story, uh, that he's leaving under his own power. And like he said, I think everybody kind of made peace. Like, yeah, no, we hate to see Trevor's story go, but they should trade him because that's the best thing to do for him and the organization. Whereas with the Arenado trade, it was we, ha- we had him on that big contract. And so we expected him to be here for several more years. And then we just kind of get blindsided of, oh, he's out of here. No, And so we didn't have time to process and prepare for that. But with Trevor Story, we knew. And we already had the reports that he wasn't going to sign back with the team. But the Rockies were, and Bill Schmidt were so content thinking, we're going to just extend the qualifying offer and get the comp pick for him. And I think it's just kind of that false hope you know, that they, they think, hey, maybe we'll be able to re-sign him. They're not re-signing Trevor Story. He will not be right. in purple pinstripes come spring training. Uh, right. But it, it, they just holding on too much. And I love what I saw in another, you know, somebody quoted on Twitter just kind of saying that this trade deadline has taught me, you know, that prospects are meant to be dealt or, or and dealt around and to get these good players. You know, and you deal your good players so you can get prospects and try and see if you can strike gold with that. No, Mm -hmm. the game is meant to be moving pieces around and the Rockies still fail to do that. No, they hoard their prospects and just, we hear it time and time, they overvalue their their prospects and their players and know the value. I'm sure there were great offers out there for Trevor's story. Anything would have been better than just one pick and take a gamble on that. Uh, As we saw throughout this this, uh, trade deadline of what you could get from your rental players. And so it's they botched it. That's the only thing I can say is that they botched the Trevor Story situation. I want to read a quick quote. Kenneth and Evan, you guys are up next, but just another follow-up comment that just came out from Bill Schmidt uh, in regards to Trevor Story's comment, right, the one that we just read out. Bill Schmidt, Bill Schmidt said, quote, It's natural. He probably built it up at the deadline and what was being portrayed in the media. I kept him abreast of things. The disappointment, I understand. Trevor is a pro. 
he'll move on, he'll play through it, we'll address it in the offseason. Just more add some more context to anything you guys might be talking about. Um, you know, Bill Schmidt seems pretty content with Trevor Story in his situation. Kenneth, Evan, what do you guys got on this? Um, it's very disheartening um, from, you know, just, just the entire way that it played out. And honestly, I think that Trevor Story was gone that the minute that the Nolan Arenado deal got finalized. And mm-hmm. this is really just putting that last nail in the coffin. Um, That's a really good because, point. Because, like, okay, let's let's say that Trevor Story gets hurt for the, the second half of the season or his production is kind of the lowest that it's been since his rookie year, whatever. He's not hitting the market at his highest point. It seems as though, at least from these quotes, from these comments, that the relationship has continued to fray to the point where he might not entertain accepting the qualifying offer at all much less a contract extension. He want, he might just want to get out of Dodge, you know? And so you made your piece. I think everybody in the fan base, I think pretty much everybody outside of the Rockies organization made their piece that story would not be on the Rockies after the 2021 mm-hmm. season. And I don't know if just the Rockies refuse to acknowledge that. Or maybe they're just getting that last pound of flesh out of story and the marketing that you can put around that superstar before he goes off to greener pasture somewhere else. Um, it doesn't. It's so hard to really put yourself in the Rockies front office shoes and definitively say, oh, this must be what they're thinking. Because so far, all that we got is they really value that comp pick. And, you know, they'll tell you until, you know, you, you're sick of hearing it, that that's where they got Story from. That's where they got Blackman from. That's where they got Arenado from. That's where they got Ryan McMahon from. So a great point. this is their golden ticket. This comp pick is the best way that it's been portrayed. And, man, we talk about prospects and, you know, them being recycled for other players and maybe – that prospect hits it big and eventually they price out and then you trade them for, for more prospects. But for every Trevor story, there's five Ryan Castellanis that get selected in the comp round that don't hit. There's Alex Baylogs who don't ever make it to the major leagues. And those are the guys that were the competitive balance picks sandwiching Ryan McMahon's selection a couple years back. So that's not a sure thing. And so far that's, just seems to be the plan is the comp pick is where we're going to make our living as an organization. So we're going to be trading Trevor story essentially for whatever star we believe we're going to make in a pick in the 32 to 36 range in the 2022 draft. I, nobody agrees with it, but that's the plan. (laughs) But that is the plan. Yeah. And, and I do think it's good. You mentioned the picks that they have gotten because there is a bit of history there. And while we don't agree with it, and while we don't think it's the right move, there is at least, you. I think you do a good job kind of, of kind of painting what they might be thinking and what their game plan might be. We don't agree with it, we don't like it, but it is good to get that context. Evan, what you got? I got a lot. Yeah, you do. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that because this is the direction that they've chosen, I do not envy the young man that we take as this competitive balance. Great point too. That kid is going to be held up to such an insane degree that he does not deserve because it was birthed out of this situation. And that 
That's not fair to whoever it is we draft in that spot. And that's not even fair to Trevor's story. We talked about mm-hmm. this with Gomber early this season, too. Yeah. And it's also frustrating because even looking outside of the competitive balance picks, the Rockies have a lot of misses in early round draft picks. Think I think about the time when we drafted you know Greg Reynolds over Evan Longoria. Kershaw. And I just am not yeah. confident in the front office making the right decision with this draft pick. But overall, it's just a complete failure to do what was necessary because I. It yeah. was pretty much set in stone that Story was not going to be back. Like we've all said, we all pretty much made our peace with it. It's just something that was going to happen. But. Sure. The way that they've handled this is so immensely frustrating because I don't know if maybe they're thinking that because Trevor Story is having a down year that maybe they'll be able to sign him under market value or something like that but you've now made Story more upset with that quote the I'm confused I don't have anything good to say about the situation that Bill Schmidt quote that you read earlier Mac was the first I was hearing about that Mm. and it strikes me as incredibly tone deaf from both Bill Schmidt and from the organization. And I get some, I get pulling John Gray off the market, maybe even pulling Daniel Bard off the market. Fine. Because as Bill Schmidt said with John Gray, we internally made the decision to keep John and not trade him. Our objective is to continue having John as a Rocky. We've made the discussions. We're not quite at the finish line. But then he turns around and goes, well, hopefully we have Trevor Story more than two months because we love him. But Story has made it pretty clear, I think, that he doesn't really love the organization back. There have been no contract talks this year, not even an inclination that he has any intention of of Mm -hmm. entertaining any kind of offer, qualifying or contract extension. And why would he want to? He's watched the Rockies mistreat and fork over his best friends and co-workers and players we he watched the Rockies uh, not sign DJ LeMahieu not even make DJ LeMahieu an offer when DJ LeMahieu expressed again and again that he wanted to be here we watched Trevor Story endure the whole Nolan Arenado situation and even having to be talked to about that with the media when that broke down and when that offer was made final I agree that that was sort of when we knew that Trevor story wasn't going to be back next year and we've seen nothing to the contrary this year, but then Bill Schmitz comes out and says that the goal is to sign him long-term when there's no evidence that that would ever happen. And I just, I don't know The the whole thing is so wrong headed and so frustrating. And I don't, I was I was spitting fire before the show about all of this. So much he sure was, but he sure was. I mean, I decided to get it out of my system. But at the end of the day, yeah. the Rockies have done everything wrong so frequently. They did everything wrong with Nolan Arenado. They did everything wrong with DJ Lemayhew. They're doing everything wrong with Trevor Story. And we're supposed to just be okay with the interim general manager, who's probably going to end up being our permanent um, 
long-term general manager, unfortunately, because that's really what the writing on the wall yeah. is here. And I've said earlier, that is the absolute worst case scenario for the organization is keeping Bill Schmidt as the GM and not bringing in a fresh set of eyes from outside of the organization. But unfortunately that really is looking like what's going to happen, but we're just supposed to sit here and be content with Trevor story is leaving. They're going to give him the qualifying offer, which he will reject pretty much immediately. And then they will use a competitive balance draft pick on someone who's going to be forced into the spotlight that they do not deserve because he's the fallout of the death of Trevor Story as a Rocky and of Nolan Arenado as a Rocky because the whole Nolan Arenado situation led directly into the Trevor Story situation where we all knew that Trevor wasn't going to be back and it seems like everybody except for the Rockies front office understands that Trevor is going not going to be back and I just am so immensely frustrated reading all these quotes from the Bill Schmidt presser and the Trevor Story we've made him even further upset because we know that he's not gonna he's not gonna take the QO he never was going to and I don't know how much we would need to pay him for coming back on a long-term deal but it's got to be a lot and I think it really was that the Rockies pretended like they were going to deal him because what they did was they didn't maximize his value and they entered the deadline with the least possible amount of leverage when Story was at his least amount of value, having a down year, having had a couple injuries, and then asking for a very high price. Because the Rockies over the deadline were linked to the White Sox, to the Rays, to the Blue Jays, the Yankees, even the Padres and the Giants. But it sounds like the Rockies had a very high asking price when they did not have the leverage to do so. And so nobody was really willing to push for him. And I think if they had lowered that price, they still could have gotten a decent return despite the low leverage and been able to trade him. And so now we're left with nothing. Trevor Story is going to walk. We'll get a competitive balance pick and that's it. And it's just so incredibly frustrating, especially with all of the moves made by the Dodgers and the Padres to strengthen their organizations because they're making incredible pushes. The Giants didn't make that many moves, but they made at least one move to try and strengthen their team. And then we're just sitting here in a distant, distant, distant fourth place because yeah we're not as bad as the diamondbacks Mm -hmm. but the diamondbacks are at least starting to pull the trigger on a rebuild and come february right monfort with new general manager bill schmidt they're going to come out and say you know what this team is a lot closer to competing than everyone thinks just like they do every year and then not sign anybody or do anything to improve the team and thomas harding on twitter earlier was talking about well look at what the Giants did and you know maybe the Rockies could do that where the Giants are getting a lot out of you know smaller signings and didn't make a ton of moves but they're first place in the division but the difference between the Giants and the Rockies is like night and day in terms of how their front offices are run not even close right that the Giants have a pretty strong analytics team and a very smart general manager 
and mm-hmm. an owner who doesn't meddle. Dick Moffer is a meddlesome owner. Every move the Rockies make sort of reeks of his hands being in the pot, thinking that he's a baseball guy when he's not. And it was it goes back to the Nolan Arenado trade again, where Dick Monfort apparently put a lot of that trade together. And now we have this deadline that's been bad, and the Rockies are already getting sort of torn apart by people on social media and by the baseball media for their very strange decisions. And I just, and I feel like I'm starting to, I'm probably starting to ramble now. I apologize, but (laughs) you're good. There's no way the Rockies are going to be able to pull a giants next year, especially because Thomas Harding's mentioned, Oh, well, you know, we signed some quality veteran free agents and, you know, this team maybe could compete. But Dick Monfort himself has said that the Rockies are not a team to sign big free agents. And if that just, if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about this trade deadline and the future of the organization right now, then I don't know what else does. Kenneth, uh, I know you had something on this. Yeah, so I just I want to bring up uh, to the group because we we touched pretty heavily on on the Nolan Arenado trade and that whole saga. How much do you think played? How much do you think that that deal and the backlash from that deal played into this deadline for the Rockies? Um, I think that's a great question. Yeah, and I mean, just from my starting point, I think that man, they were really determined to not lose a trade, and you can't lose a trade if you don't make a trade. Was was kind of the meme that the Rockies made themselves into over this, but just to the group, I mean, how much do you think that played into this, if at all? I'll throw my hat in and I'll say there's a quote from Bill Schmidt, another one that came out that said, "With what we were offered, we thought the competitive balance pick was better suited for us, and we could have Trevor on our team for another two months. If any deals were close, we probably would have got to the finish line." End quote. That to me, to Kenneth's point, screams. We do not want to lose a trade. We would rather, and and Evan said this earlier in um, what he was talking about, and I I think it's just this sort of general thing we've all kind of mentioned throughout this whole discussion is the Rockies would rather go for a competitive balance pick and have that not work out potentially than even consider the idea of trading Trevor Story and having fan backlash from it. I think that's a great question to ask, Kenneth, because just for me personally, I do think that that weighed heavily on their minds as they, I was going to say made a move, but did not make a move. Mm-hmm. Was that all of it? No. No, I don't think it was. I do think that they believe that the competitive balance pick was a was an idea for them. But I don't think there's a question that after the Nolan Arenado, I mean, call it a debacle, honestly, I don't think there's any way that that was not at least somewhat on their minds for this uh, situation. I totally agree with that. Well, yeah, and like it's uh, one of those things – where it it was one of my beliefs that this the whole Arnado trade and the immense backlash the front office got from that trade. And, you know, Nick Monfort kind of has that personality. You know, we see it. He is a, a really nice guy, but also sometimes feel like as an owner, he just kind of wants to be your friend you know, and hates the fact that you might be uh, might not like him. And so that whole front office, the fear of losing another trade, you know, and trading away your other superstar 
in the course of the same season, basically, they just couldn't stomach it. They didn't want to face that backlash again. And at least this way, they can try and spin it of like, we wanted to keep Story here, and like, we love him, we want him here, but he just didn't want to sign with us, so what can you do? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. ain't fooling us at all. And yeah. it's the same thing with Arenado. No. When they came out during the press and they're like, I don't understand why it fell apart, why he wanted to leave and everything. And it feels like that same exact situation where after Story leaves, signs a big contract with, you know, somebody else, the Giants of all people during the offseason or something, you know. And then they come out and say, like, we don't know why he left. No, we thought he liked it here. We loved him. You know, and despite all the good intentions you know, and care that the Rockies do have for their players, sometimes those good intentions are misplaced and yes. don't really amount to anything. And it kind of you know, limits them and what they're able to do and why they're not able to find that success. Because, yes, they care. Sometimes they care too much, and their intentions are misplaced and not focused on what they need to do for the organization. So they're so afraid of not being liked that they hold on to their star player when he's obviously not going to stay on your team, but they're hoping that he does. Evan? Evan? Something that I wonder that led to Story's quote that he's confused and he doesn't have anything good to say about this whole thing was I wonder if the team told him that they really were were going to make a push to trade him. And then I do agree with the whole thing that, you know, the fear of getting fleeced again and facing that backlash for losing the Nolan Arenado trade is what led them to keep their asking price so high, despite the fact that they didn't have the leverage for that high in asking price. But then because they weren't willing to budge, Story's not traded, and now he's frustrated because he was basically told, yeah, you're going to be traded. But what really, really frustrates me is what Bill Schmidt's saying that, hey, at least we've got two more months of Trevor Story. And I love Trevor Story, and I love watching him. I've got Trevor Story jerseys. I've got Trevor Story bobbleheads. I've got a Trevor Story autographed baseball. I adore this man. But two more months of Trevor Story for what? That's we're not so competing. true. We're not going to be in the playoffs. We're not even going to be sniffing a wild card berth. What is the point other than that you think that it's going to put butts in seats for two more months before he is gone forever? And get you a comp pick. And get you a comp pick. Trevor's story for two more months and for what is such a great just like bottom line to this whole thing. It really is. And like I, I love Trevor's story, I do, and it hurts me, and it hurt to be like, yeah, he's going to be gone. And that stinks. Of course it does. He's a major face of the franchise. He's one of the, the best-known players on the team outside of Colorado. But it just doesn't make any sense. What's the reason for keeping him around? What is the reason for all of this when... Heck, we could have traded him before the season started if we knew that he wasn't going to be here and gotten more than I think we could have gotten at this deadline. But at the end of the day, this is just where we're at. We have two more months of Trevor Story, and for what? 
The Rock. <laughs> something that the Rockies, all of this could have been solved if they lived up to the old adage of if you love something, you set it free. <laughs> and if it comes back, then you know it was meant to be. And like John Gray. That's what they should have done at this trade deadline. John Gray was set to be on the trade block, and teams were asking about him. Oh, bang. That's a a great point. He says he wants to be here, that all he wants is to wear purple. And the Rockies have said, all right, we are engaging in contract talks. And, Kenneth, you mentioned earlier that now you've got to wonder how much energy the Rockies should have been putting into the deadline did they instead put into starting John Gray's contract talks when that is something that you could have done over the entire course of the season so far? Yeah, it really seemed like that started coming into the light in the middle of the the chaos of trades flying around the league was that they seemed to open up negotiation extension, or excuse me, extension negotiations when the clock was on its final countdown it's like t minus 36 hours like oh well when you put it that way yeah let's talk contract man he hasn't been on vacation like you know where he's been the discussion could have been had this entire time and you know what if it works out and gray science great that doesn't address anything offensively the pitching staff the starting pitching for the rockies right now is not the problem the problem is offensively this team is very depleted you're about to lose story with it so if you think you're going to be a competitive team outside of it and you're unwilling to participate in free agency then you have to develop and there's not a lot coming up through Hartford and Albuquerque right now so there's not a lot of short term you know near future relief on bats so you kind of had to address it through trades because that's how you've pigeonholed yourself and that's the the frustrating part man it might work out on the comp picks there might be a good player that comes if a qualifying offer is issued to story and maybe gray too and the rockies get some picks but we're not going to know that but that's the only avenue that the rockies are giving themselves right now that's it and that's probably the most frustrating part is there's not a lot of exploration and deviation outside of what they have planned and if the past couple years is any indication their plans aren't exactly working so you know, it's it's hard to be optimistic as a Rockies fan when seeing the fallout just at you know, at every turn to better the franchise, how it turns out. It's it's disappointing. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> um, no, I mean you guys all nailed it. There's so much that goes into it. We have we have a cap on this podcast, unfortunately. We gotta we gotta get ready to wrap this thing up, but um We've all written about this in various ways in our articles on the website. We've all talked about it, you know, at length here and on Twitter. And and we're going to keep talking about it because, unfortunately, the history is there. There's a long history, whether, you know, and we don't know the intricacies of the relationship between the front office management players. We never will. But there is a long history of Arenados and Ubaldos and Tulowitzkis and Ionetas of these above-average players, some superstars, that are unhappy with Rockies management and they walk and they go somewhere else and they find success elsewhere. That looks like it's going to happen with Trevor story. We'll see if it happens with John Gray. It's a shame that all these years on, we are still in a very similar place If podcast existed 10 years ago. The four of us might be here having a very similar conversation about Ubaldo Jimenez. Um, yeah, it's tough and we'll see what happens. Uh, if you know, if anything else happens, of course, as always, make sure you guys keep your eyes on purplerow.com and on our Twitter page. We'll obviously give you updates as they come, but this is something that we'll just kind of have to deal with for the rest of the season. 
great to see Trevor Story for the last couple months. I would say enjoy it. I don't think you will see him much more after that unless he is wearing a different colored uniform. Uh, so enjoy the last couple months of Trevor Story because I guess that's what the plan is, is to do exactly that. And then good luck to whichever kid has to take that compensatory pick because it's not his fault. Uh, but it is what it is. All right. What a downer. Let's wrap it up. Uh, um, thank you so much for joining us today on Effective by Altitude. Very heavy episode. Please make sure you get at us on Purple Row. We want to hear your comments, what your thoughts are on the whole trade deadline and Trevor Story situation. And, of course, feel free to get at us on Twitter about our icebreaker and as well about your general thoughts about everything we've talked about here today. Evan, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, so my Twitter is at Evan underscore Lang 27. You can also hit us up at the official Affected by Altitude Twitter, which is at Altitude Effect. I would love to hear from you all. Definitely. Skyler? You can find me at at sideline underscore crowd. There's always plenty of memes and gifts and <laughs> sarcastic comments. All those in abundance. And Kenneth, thank you so much for hanging out with us, man. We really, really appreciate you uh, bringing your expertise and your side of things on the podcast. Where can people find you on Twitter? I am at kdub1988. Bang. And again, guys, don't forget to check out Kenneth and our other friend, Justin Wick's podcast, Pebble Report. It's a great breakdown. We've kind of made mention of some of these guys coming up through Spokane and Hartford and Albuquerque. But Kenneth and Justin do a really great job breaking down what the futures of these future Rockies look like. So make sure you guys check them out. Anyway, we appreciate all y'all. Thanks so much for joining us. Skylar, hit him with it. Farewell. And we'll see y'all soon. Bye. <laughs>